peace, namaste, and shalom. Everybody out there in dreamland, I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. The third human civil war, or World War III, was fought by the major powers for control of Earth and her colonies. Major player in the struggle for the future of humanity was the CFR, also known as the Communist Federated Republics, the second incarnation of the Soviet Union, which collapsed in 1991. That night, the red flag of the Soviet Union was lowered for the last time. The Soviet Union broke apart, and Russia established democracy. Celebrations did not last long as corruption and cronyism plunged most Russians into poverty. Russian mortality rates increased dramatically, while its birth rate dropped to unsustainable levels. In the dead of night on July the 16th, 2041, Russian communists determined to restore Russia to its former glory, attacked the Russian government. Backed by China, the communists seized control. CFR government in secret signed an alliance with China known to history as the Hegemony Pact. Almost immediately China poured trillions of dollars into the CFR to rebuild its shattered military and infrastructure. Within 12 years the CFR had restored its military a chronic shortage of manpower caused by its population decline, the CFR built its military around its superiority in space and robotic technologies. The CFR in 2051 invaded the nations that broke off from the Soviet Union in 1991. Only those nations within the EU were untouched. Georgia, Kazakhstan and others fell to the CFR within weeks. By 2055, the HIE had joined the hegemony. Soon after, a joint Chinese CFR strike on Taiwan completely destroyed the U.S. Pacific fleet. The CFR moved against the colonies, while China conquered the rest of Asia. By 2060, the hegemony crushed most resistance in Asia. The CFR in China then attacked the U.S. mainland. Millions of Americans died from the hegemony nuclear attack on the U.S. The CFR invaded the northern states, while China invaded the western states in an attempt to force the United States to capitulate. 
U.S. stopped the invasion force along the Mississippi River defensive line. The U.S. begged the EU to intervene in the war, but they refused. Europa hat diesen Krieg schon zweimal geschlagen. Europa wird nicht wieder kämpfen. Hegemonie n'est pas une menace à l'Union européenne si nous restons en dehors de la guerre. Il n'y a pas besoin de nous déranger. Nous pouvons accepter un monde dominé par eux. Some member states wanted to help the U.S., but was outvoted by members afraid of their massive Islamic populations, which had now begun to violently revolt. States, Ukraine, Finland, and Poland fell to the CFR, although woefully unprepared they bitterly resisted. suffered greatly against the war machines of the CFR and the endless legions of the HIE deeply divided before the war, the last Europeans united like they never had before, resisting in the last pockets of free Europe. By 2065 the Allies were in retreat everywhere, and the last three people of Europe struggled against the combined might of the other German pact, the CFR, China and HIV control 80% of the Earth. powers for control of Earth and her colonies. The Republic of India, the largest free state on Earth, and a key allied nation was vital to the eventual defeat of the hegemony. In the decades leading up to the war, the power of the United States had waned, and other nations rose to fill the vacuum. India became more active in global security, and joined the US and Japan in a joint effort to explore and colonize space. Who here wants to be an Indian astronaut and goes, Me! You think you will one day? Yes! Mankind rushed to colonize the solar system and exploited some limited resources. 
while on earth India soon found itself surrounded by an expansionist China and the Islamic world in anarchy. A new radical Islamist movement was spreading across Pakistan, Iran and the Middle East. After much internal strife, the Holy Islamic Empire was created out of dozens of Islamic nations. India was now surrounded by powerful enemies. While the US and Europe cut their armed forces, India was rushing to prepare itself for a possible war. August 8, 2055, China invaded Taiwan and destroyed the US fleet deployed to protect the island nation. China's ally, the Holy Islamic Empire invaded Israel and Western India just two days after. India, Israel, Australia, and the United States formed an alliance to counter the hegemony. The endless legions of the HIE poured across the Western Indian border. A fully mobilized Indian military bitterly fought the invaders. It did not take long before both powers used nuclear weapons. The US still reeling from its defeat in Taiwan retreated from Asia. China then turned against India, invading it from the north through the Himalayas. executed by the hegemony, and told tens of millions were killed in the hegemony death camps. India took a heavy toll from the conflict, but it would not be easily conquered. The hegemony planned to eliminate India and Japan first, then destroy America and the EU. With the Indians still fighting in 2060, China went ahead and invaded the US. China invaded at half its planned strength, the rest of its forces were bogged down in India. China soon found itself waging two separate wars against two determined enemies on their homeland on two different continents. By 2065, the Germany controlled more than 80% of the planet.
or the eyes of the world now look into space to the moon and to the planets beyond. The 21st century was a dark age for mankind. It was a time of economic collapse, world war, and near extinction. The one bright spot in this dark age was mankind's first steps from its home world to the vast void of space. Mankind went from first flight to the moon in the span of 66 years. A blink of the cosmic eye. Yet soon after, mankind turned inward and did not venture far in space for almost 60 years, as the global economy collapsed early in the 21st century, and American power waned. Other nations weathered the economic storm, and replaced the U.S. as the leader in space. Once again done the country proud, and the entire nation salutes them. The former major space powers, bankrupt and desperate to harvest the unlimited resources of space to jumpstart their economies, joined up with other nations. The US, India, Japan, and private corporations deemed up to create a JISA. This new alliance of space agencies immediately set out to counter the Chinese and Russians in space. A JISA began to build the first space elevator to cut the staggering cost of space exploration and gain an advantage over China in space. In 2029 China established the first lunar colony. Soon the US and its Japanese and Indian allies established their own colonies. The EU with Brazil, Australia, Korea, and Mexico joined the space race together. The lunar colonies flourished and mankind built more elevators and orbital stations. substances, and water, flowed back into Earth, reviving many Western nations' economies, even bringing back a few from bankruptcy and total national collapse. Back on Earth, the U.S. became involved in a short and bloody war in the Mideast. Islamic radicals backed by the HIE attempted to bring the free nations of Iraq and Kuwait into its fold. At first America helped, 
Then it abandoned those once free nations to the HIE. In 2044, the U.S. president, suffering in the polls and defeated in the Mideast, attempted to restore his image. He ordered the U.S. military to build the first military base in space. This violated the Outer Space Treaty of 1967. With the treaty now void, China and the CFR began to openly build up its military in the colonies, no longer needing to do so in secret. China claimed large areas of Mars and the moon and backed up its claims with its military might. A tense peace fell upon mankind in space over the next decade, as it rushed to lay claim to the far reaches of its home system. By 2053 the situation on Earth was spinning out of control. The CFR invaded the former Soviet states neighboring it. China was expanding across Asia and was mobilizing for war. The HIE was slaughtering millions of Africans in its own wars of expansion and purification. Hundreds of millions of people desperately wanted to get off of Earth, some for work, some to begin again, but most foresaw the looming war. The colonies went from having a population of a few million to nearly 100 million by 2055. On August the 8th, 2055 the third human civil war began on Earth. It did not take long before it spread to the colonies. Men has killed men from the beginning of time. And each new frontier has brought new ways and new places to die. Why should the future be different? Civil War, or World War III was fought by the major powers for control of Earth and her colonies. The most important of these powers was China. From 2012 to 2018 China fought a bloody uprising from its people for democracy. The communist government survived and rapidly set into motion a plan to dominate the world and usher in a second Chinese golden age. China soon won the race of discovery against the United States, establishing colonies beyond Earth. America, China's rival for dominance, had begun to feel the effects of its massive debt and careless spending from early in the century. China soon surpassed the U.S. in every way, leading the world in economic, scientific, diplomatic and military power. Unchecked China began to take control of Asia by any Alliances with the Communist Federated Republics and the Holy Islamic Empire, 
specialized in the region. Pacific fleet. With America neutralized, the Chinese hegemony turned against Korea, Japan, and India. It is every citizen's final duty to go into the tanks and to become one with all the people. Chairman Shen Jiang. By 2057, the Chinese hegemony and her allies had seized most of Asia and Africa. Only India, Australia, and Japan remained resisting in Asia. America turned to Europe, asking the EU to intervene in the war, but they refused, opting to stay neutral. As the war in Asia came to a close, China organized the mass extermination of the vanquished. China was unstoppable. Its superior numbers, modern weaponry, and augmented soldiers had the U.S. in retreat everywhere on Earth. The Jinjak's muscles and nerves are ideal for this task, and the cerebral cortex has been atrophied so that he can desire nothing except to perform his duties. Tyranny, you say? How can you tyrannize someone who cannot feel pain? itself, China plotted the seeds of dissent. China funded and organized violent anti-war protests that crippled the domestic U.S. war effort. China also attacked vital U.S. virtual and computer networks. Human Civil War, or World War III, was fought by the major powers for control of Earth and her colonies. The United States of America, ahead of the Allied powers during the war, fought desperately for its survival against the hegemony. 
2062, half of the U.S. was occupied. 100 million Americans were dead, and the U.S. government was at the brink of collapse. The century leading up to the war saw the dramatic rise and fall of American power. powerful United States of America began to witness the complete erosion of its economy, military, and long-held freedoms due to the effects of its reckless spending and massive national debt created early in the century. Water literally stretched around a football stadium, thousands of people waiting outside, all looking for a chance to find a job. We're broke. We're broke. America's broke. By order of the city of Pittsburgh chief police. I hereby declare this to be an unlawful assembly. led to martial law, social unrest, hyperinflation and the decline of its military. As U.S. power declined around the world, other nations rose to fill the vacuum. On August 8, 2055, China set off the spark, invading Taiwan and destroying the U.S. Pacific fleet in the process. After taking Taiwan and Guam, China moved against its main Asian adversaries, India and Japan. The U.S. forced Taiwan refused to engage China directly, instead it fought proxy wars in the colonies and Israel. China used this lull in the fighting to consolidate its gains in Asia. After securing most of Asia, China then turned to the U.S., first taking Hawaii. With Hawaii, the Chinese gained a base in which they could invade the U.S. mainland. In the U.S. itself, China funded violent anti-war tests that severely hampered the domestic U.S. war effort. 2060, China attacked vital U.S. computer networks, then launched a massive nuclear strike on major U.S. population centers. This was followed by a full-scale invasion of the U.S. mainland. American forces resisted, delaying the invasion at great cost. The Chinese are scrambling to divert forces to assist. The coalition can only hope none of them make it here in time. To my family back home, wherever you are, not a day goes by without being in my thoughts. China broke through the Rocky Mountains defensive line, but was stopped cold at the Mississippi defensive line. Both sides attempted to break across the river, yet none could. The war in America soon became one of attrition. The U.S. desperate for allies asked the EU to intervene, but they refused. Only a few EU members sent volunteers to help the besieged Americans.
occupied America, the American resistance routinely attacked the Chinese occupation forces inflicting massive casualties. By 2063 China, began to round up and kill suspected rebels by the hundreds of thousands. By 2064 New York City was occupied, and the colony seceded from Earth declaring itself neutral in the conflict. The U.S. was in the verge of capitulation. Along the Mississippi America prepared for one last counterattack against the hegemony. We are many, and you are one. How can you hope to prevail against us? States of America had been at war with China for almost five years. The U.S. had suffered numerous major defeats, and China gained control of much of the Pacific. These early years of the war the U.S., aside from Hawaii and Guam, did not feel the full effects of the war. In America itself, the seeds of its own destruction were planted. Massive anti-war protests severely hampered the U.S. mobilization. The U.S. military had been slashed to save money. The U.S. nuclear stockpile was reduced in 2008 from 6,000 to only 400 by 2050. The American political leadership also chose to ignore the massive Chinese build-up in the Pacific, trying to avoid the draft and ease its pace. Americans saw this as any other war, but to China, this was the war to determine the fate of mankind. as best they could. 
Assisted by local police and armed citizens, they waged the delaying action as millions of Americans fled east. The first major U.S. defense was organized along the Rocky Mountains. The Americans held for many days, but soon the defenders fell to radiation sickness, hunger, ammunition shortages, and attrition. A second line of defense was being prepared along the Mississippi as the Rockies fell to China. That's going to take a while to rebuild. With the second line of defense in place, the U.S. fought bitterly all along the Mississippi. The river became full of the dead, but America had stopped the invasion. It had barely survived as a nation. The original Chinese hegemony plan was to destroy the United States within five months of its invasion. But China did not anticipate the ferocious Indian resistance on the other side of the world. China invaded the U.S. at half its planned strength, since half of its forces were bogged down in India. Another major factor in America's survival was Mexico joining the war. Mexico attempted to stay neutral, and was even actively courted by the hegemony to join its side. But the nuclear attack on the U.S. killed millions of Mexicans with its fallout, and Mexico declared war on China. With more than 100 million Americans trapped in occupied America, the resistance began to form. The backbone of this resistance were U.S. veterans from the first Democratic War. They fought a bloody irregular war in Iraq and Afghanistan. They passed their knowledge and experience on to other Americans. resistance took a heavy toll on the hegemony occupation, and soon China began to round up and kill suspected rebels by the hundreds of thousands. As the war dragged on in North America, China looked for a way to finally crush the United States and end the war in America. The hegemony launched a surprise attack on the U.S. capital of New York City, exploiting America's weak defenses in its rear and killing much of the U.S. leadership. The U.S. was at the brink of collapse, but refused to capitulate. The colonies beyond her had seceded and became neutral in the war. This left the U.S. without a vital source of resources. The U.S. spent the next few years fighting a defensive war along the Mississippi and Hudson Rivers, while it built up and mobilized for one final push to the Pacific. The Allies, desperate for a victory, launched a series of attacks on occupied New York City to retake the American capital. The Allies finally breached the city's defenses after the seventh assault, and a bloody street-by-street -street battle ensued. The Allies retook New York City at great cost. The victory greatly increased American morale. New York was the first American territory liberated from the hegemony. The liberation of the rest of North America no longer seemed impossible. In 2065 the hegemony broke apart. 
the holy Islamic empire suddenly turned against the godless CFR in China, and launched a holy war against them. The Allies took advantage of this, and attacked across the Mississippi against the weakened hegemony. America and her allies gambled, that the time was right to retake North America from the hegemony. The Allies attacked the heavily fortified western bank of the Mississippi with every able-bodied soldier and resource they could muster. The Americans took massive casualties securing a beachhead across the Mississippi. The Chinese defenses on the river finally fell, and America pushed through the breach. The Allies' superiority in numbers and secret weapons helped turn the tide in that battle. The Allies advanced towards the Pacific, the hegemony soon realized it was in danger of defeat in North America. As the hegemony retreated they destroyed everything and killed everyone they could in occupied America. 15 million Americans in the PLA labor camps were killed in just one day. The Chinese launched one last major counter-offensive along the Rocky Mountains. China hoped to punch out of the Allied encirclement, but it failed. The Americans finally reached the Pacific. Only two hegemony strongholds remained. Seattle and Los Angeles. Los Angeles finally fell on April 3rd. 2065. The war in North America ended where it started. America was left in ruins and hundreds of millions were dead, but the war was still raging.
The European Union endured many years of hegemony attacks, airstrikes, and raids. Yet, the EU held. By 2065 the hegemony controlled most of the world, but the hegemony itself began to break apart. HIE decimated the CFR in Europe. Meanwhile, across the world, America took the opportunity to push the Chinese hegemony out of North America. After North America was liberated, the U.S. and Mexico then shifted their forces to retake Europe. In early 2067, the Allies invaded Europe from the British Isles in Spain. The Allies slowly pushed across Europe. Every town liberated from the HIE or the CFR came at the cost of tens of thousands of Allied soldiers. The march across Europe took three brutally long years. Europe was liberated after nearly eight years under occupation. The cost and lives lost was staggering. Countless millions died in the fighting. Europe's historic cities were razed, but the Allies were determined to end the war and bring the fight to their enemies.
The third human civil war, or World War III, was fought by the major powers for control of Earth and her colonies. The allied nations led by the US, India, and Australia attempted to check and encircle China, which had now become the dominant power on Earth and was rapidly expanding its influence and territory. In 2055 the Allied fleet gathered in the Taiwan Strait as a show of force, to deter war and support Taiwan against China, but China invaded nonetheless. disaster for the Allies, the Americans lost its entire Pacific fleet. Vietnam and Taiwan fell to the hegemony. The Philippines was the next to fall. One by one the Allied nations were conquered. The Allies were powerless to stop it. Only Australia and New Zealand had any significant fleet left to fight the hegemony. They fought with the hegemony for control of the islands of the Pacific. Yeah, basically we, uh, we got dropped off by helicopter two days ago uh, to check out the tracks in this part of, uh, of the, the island, uh, looking for any sign of civilian life, that sort of thing. Japan attempted to stay out of the war, but with much of Asia and the Pacific under hegemony control, China invaded from occupied Korea. The Japanese bitterly defended the Japanese home islands, but the situation was hopeless for the Japanese military. They could only delay the invasion to allow civilians to flee to Tokyo. Civilians that fell into hegemony hands were brutally and efficiently killed. The Japanese military created a ring of defense around Greater Tokyo for a last-ditch effort to save the Japanese people from extermination. Every Allied nation sent whatever fleet they could muster to Tokyo, and the largest mass evacuation in human history was attempted. Millions of Japanese were evacuated to the US, Peru, and Australia, but many Japanese were left behind. by the hegemony, and the majority of the Pacific in Chinese control, the hegemony then turned to Australia, invading it from Indonesia and New Guinea.
Australian and New Zealand navies fought valiantly against the invasion fleet, but were greatly outnumbered. They only succeeded in destroying one of three invasion fleets. Millions of Germany troops poured into Australia from two footholds in the north. Australia, mainly to secure its vast resources, to fuel its war machine against India and the US. The Australian Army launched a counterattack near Alice Springs, that completely caught up the Germany off guard.
Australia, the local citizens were forced to work in mines and factories for the hegemony. Those who refused to work paid a terrible price. sacrifice has ever been asked of a people but I ask you now to step forward one last time one last battle 
to hold the line against the night. May God go with you all.
which was rapidly expanding across the Mideast, Africa, and parts of Asia. As these new powers grew in both strength and influence, the United States attempted to find a way to regain its position in the world stage, but it had very little options. And of these options, the merger was the best one. It would immediately jumpstart both their economies and strengthen their militaries. The United States were gonna access to Canada's vast amount of resources and capital, which it badly needed to restart its economy. The Canadians, in turn, would gain access to American technology, the colonies, and American labor, which at the time, Canada suffered from chronic labor shortages. At first, the mere mention of a merger was met with ridicule and hostility within both nations. The first man to actively push for it, U.S. Congressman King of Michigan, was laughed out of the House of Representatives in 2030 when he put up a bill for vote that would start an action committee that would explore the possibility of a merger. In 2032, King, now a senator, once again approached this issue, but with the support of the Canadian Prime Minister, who wanted to build a superhighway that would integrate both the United States and Canada and pave a way for customs union. The superhighway would stretch from Anchorage to Houston, Winnipeg to Austin, and Halifax to Houston. It was a no-brainer for both countries to build, since it would provide millions of jobs and make the transfer of goods, people, and resources between countries much easier. It was hoped this would help relieve both nations' economies still suffering from years of depression. In 2036, the International Trans-American Superhighway was built, and in 2037, a custom union was in full effect. By 2039, the new level of closer economic integration, the Trans-American Highway, and the riches from the colonies began to slowly revitalize the economies of both the United States and Canada. In 2040, building on the success of the Customs Union and Trans-American Highway, the leaders of both countries proposed a monetary union. Both nations would now share the same monetary unit, the U.S. dollar, which was nearly worthless because of its massive national debt and resulting severe hyperinflation, would be replaced with the United North American dollar, which was backed by Canadian collateral and international investors, primarily from India, interested in a stronger American economy to counter the Chinese yuan, which had largely replaced the American dollar as the currency of choice for international trading. In 2043, the UNA dollar was introduced, and by the end of that year, it had fully replaced the Canadian and American dollars. In 2043, the U.S. military found itself involved in a short but bloody war in the Mideast known to history as the Second Democratic War. In this war, the U.S. attempted to preserve the sovereignty of both the Republic of Iraq and the Kingdom of Kuwait from the expansionist Holy Islamic Empire. The U.S. military was ill-prepared for the conflict and with little political backing was forced to retreat. Both Iraq and Kuwait was soon annexed by the HIE. The U.S. military brass noticed how woefully unprepared its military had become due to severe budget cuts implemented in the Depression and its crisis of morale among its members when the U.S. military was used earlier in the Depression to quell food riots and seize guns from its citizens. The U.S. military brass wasn't the only one who noticed. The Chinese hegemony and its allies also noticed, increasing their confidence in the war to come, but that's another discussion for later. In 2044, U.S. President Harris lost his re-election mainly due to his failure in the recent Middle East war and his inability to deal with the Depression. A new presidential team was elected, President Dover from Florida and Vice President King from Michigan. 
Dover and King immediately visited the Canadian Prime Minister, Mr. Thornton of Alberta, to discuss a fiscal union to integrate both countries even further with a common fiscal policy, taxes, laws, and mutual borrow and spending powers. Dover and Thornton signed the North American Fiscal Compact and by early 2046 it had barely passed both Canadian and American House of Representatives for approval. In mid-2046, both Dover and Thornton signed the phased North American Armed Forces Merger Act of 2046, a complete merger of both U.S. and Canadian militaries in phases to be completed in 2050. This was already somewhat in place with the Permanent Joint Board on Defense, established in 1940 with both American and Canadian officers, and NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, which provided aerospace warning, air sovereignty, and defense for both countries. This was an integration of both militaries down to the soldier level, and it significantly strengthened both armed forces. The Canadian military was small, but one of the most modern professional armies in the world at the time, with top-of-the-line weaponry and little to no morale issues. The U.S. military numbered around 500,000 men, but it still used ancient weapons from as far back as the First Democratic War, which was fought in the early 2000s. For the first time since the Depression started, American soldiers began to use live rounds in their training. As the merger progressed, the combat readiness and morale of the American-born soldiers began to increase. By 2047, Canada and the U.S. finally saw real positive growth in its economies, and the Depression was finally declared over. Side note, most economists claim it really ended around 2039 and was really a recession until 2046, but I'm no economist, so I won't even try to explain the reasoning behind this. Encouraged by this, both Dover and Thornton pushed for a final and full merger by the late 2050 of both countries. This wasn't very popular with the people of both the U.S. and Canada. For many, it was a line that shouldn't be crossed. And on March 16, 2047, President Dover was assassinated in Ottawa by a pro-American radical named Min Young, an ex-Marine sniper who killed himself shortly after ki killing the president. Vice President King became the new U.S. president and continued ahead with the merger, even as people from both nations rioted and protested in the streets. The merger passed, but it came at the cost of the president's re-election. In 2049, the new U.S. president, Sloan, took office with Canadian Prime Minister taking the vice president position in 2050 as per the United North America Act, signed by both King and Thornton in 2048. The merger was relatively peaceful but many in the American South and Canadian Quebec refused to accept the loss of sovereignty. The newly merged military was called into Houston, Austin, Quebec City, and Montreal to quell these massive riots, the worst of which was in Quebec. In Montreal, 78 Canadian Americans were killed as the U.S. government attempted to regain control. gave the people of Quebec the right to vote for succession from the Union at a future time. 
The vote was set for late 2055, but it never happened. The Third World War and resulting invasion of North America by the hegemony postponed it indefinitely. Many Canadians resented the merger. Who could blame them? No one wants to see their country disappear, and no patriot wants to sing their national anthem for the last time. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask you to raise for God save the Queen. We figured it out, and Canada Command is working the way you want it to work. I'm very proud of that, but there's still some work to be done. But I know that I'm leaving Canada Command in very good hands. I know that the folks who are taking up the torch get it. They know where we're going. They know what we need to do. Uh, they will retain the trajectory of success in protecting and defending Canadians here at home. And I'm very comfortable to pass command on to General Samiano. Thank you for your attention. Merci beaucoup. This is Mike Miguel. Thank you for watching my video. I hope you were entertained. And if you were, please subscribe. There's many more to come. Summer 2055. The world is at the brink of war. 112 ships from nine nations gathered in the South China Sea to protect Taiwan from the Chinese hegemony. With peace talks still underway in Tokyo the Chinese military launch a surprise attack on the Allied fleet. This would be known to history as the spark and would set into motion the largest and bloodiest war in human history. On the morning of August 8th, China unleashes thousands of anti-ship missiles and attack drones on the dangerously clustered formation of Allied ships in the Taiwan Strait. The American civilian leadership had underestimated the Chinese capabilities, and anticipated no resistance. They ordered the Allied fleet to parade along the Chinese coastline in a tight formation to intimidate China. The Chinese military used this act of incompetence to maximum effect. No one expected it to come to war, the Americans most of all. Their leadership was certain that all we needed to do was show up with our big ships and sharp sticks and China would bugger off. But they wouldn't risk open war with the Allies, too costly they said. But after a few weeks of nothing, the Allied leadership, they got more cocky. Sailing closer to China in that ridiculous parade formation. It looked spectacular seeing all those ships lined up together like that, but it just made it a hell of a lot easier for the hegemony to take us out. When the attack came, it was early and I was on the deck. I didn't even see the first salvo of missiles. I heard it. It was louder than anything I've ever heard before. I turned to look and the Filipino frigate BRP Gregorio del Pilar was, was gone. Nothing but floating debris on the water. We did what we could, but the hegemony swarmed us with their drones, their planes, their missiles. Me and my mates were lucky to get out in one piece. 
Not many ships made it back to Australia that day. first few hours of the attack, the Allied fleet had been reduced to one-third of its original fighting strength. Yet, the remaining ships continued to fight against a vastly superior enemy. By 1600 hours, the Allied commanders who still remained alive called for a full retreat. It proved to be too late. The Allied fleet attempted to flee from battle but they ran into a new fleet of enemy warships. The Communist Federated Republics, the new Soviet Union, had joined the war. On the side of the Chinese hegemony. The Allied fleet was surrounded and crushed by the combined navies of the Chinese hegemony and the CFR. The Allied sailors and marines who survived the slaughter, steeled themselves for the inevitable ground invasion of Taiwan. By the end of the day the hegemony and the CFR had landed 100,000 marines. That night was a long and bloody night for both sides as they fought for control of Taiwan. Suppressing fire. Stay, stay together. Run, run, run. By the third day, the capital of Taiwan was taken by the hegemony and the surviving Allied forces surrendered. The battle for Taiwan was over, but the Third World War had just begun. An estimated two million people died in those three days. A number that horrified the Allied nations, but as the war dragged on, one that they would soon get used to. We cannot allow even the most grievous of losses to change our strategy. Uh, we cannot uh, have a circumstance where uh, loss dictates how we will engage in this war and see our mission through. In my view, that wouldn't be appropriately honouring uh, the men we have lost. In my view, it would be letting our nation down. Uh, we went there for a purpose and we will see that purpose through. The world is at war, and the Allies find themselves losing everywhere.
One by one, the Allied nations were conquered. First Vietnam, then Korea, then the Philippines. Only a few Allied nations remained fighting against the hegemony. Many other nations attempted to stay neutral, most notably the European Union, Israel and Japan. Yet, Israel was completely surrounded by an enemy known as the Holy Islamic Empire, which had joined the hegemony. Israel had maintained its sovereignty with the threat of nuclear retaliation on the HIE, if they attacked. But, with the war going so well for the HIE they soon turned their attention back to Israel. By New Year's Day, 2058, the HIE had an estimated 75 million soldiers and tens of thousands of tanks amassed near its border with Israel, although the HIE military was vastly behind Israel in technology. It made up for it in other ways, and the Israeli government began to worry. Israel concluded that war with the HIE was inevitable. It turned to the Allies in secret, asking the United States to send troops to bolster its defenses. But the U.S. military was already engaged in India and the colonies. In the U.S. itself, the U.S. military was besieged by massive anti-war protests that nearly crippled its ability to wage war. The United States decided to send what it could spare to Israel, a small military force consisting of only 20,000 Marines plus naval support. The U.S. sent this force to Israel under the cover that it was a joint training mission with the IDF, so as to protect Israeli neutrality. The Israelis were disappointed by the minor commitment from the Allies, but it found support from an unlikely source. in Israel we had 100,000 men, 80,000 more than when we started. All volunteers, all from Europe. We gave them American uniforms, weapons and ranks to distance them from the European Union, which was still neutral. At first we were worried about their combat effectiveness, but when the war came, they were brave and they fought like beasts. Israel called up its reserves increasing the size of the IDF to 2.2 million men and women. It fortified its borders and waited, hoping that the HIE would see the military build up and decide to leave Israel alone. من عقر دار الإسلام فأبشروا وأمنوا واعلموا أن الجنة تحت سنة سيوف وأن الجنة تنتظرنا فإما نصر من الله في هذه الحياة أو موت مشرف نرفع رؤوسنا به The HIE first invaded the West Bank which was a demilitarized zone, with no resistance. In the south, the HIE attacked the isolated port city, Ovalat, from both sides. Israel lost contact with its forces in Ilat and the surrounding desert. 
The Israeli defense forces in the south were quickly overrun. The speed of the HIE advance caught Israel completely by surprise. Southern Israel quickly fell to the enemy. Only the city of Beersheba and the ancient fortress of Masada remained. Meanwhile the Allied commanders were bewildered by the reports coming back from the battlefield of a new weapon that made the HIE forces invincible. The majority of the HIE invasion force were under the effect of a drug known as KB-46, developed by the hegemony a decade earlier as part of their super soldier program. It was made from spider and horseshoe crab proteins mixed with powerful antidepressants. It caused the taker of the drug to become twice as strong and impervious to pain or discomfort. The HIE soldier could also suffer catastrophic damage to their bodies or severe blood loss and still function. KB-46 accounted for the HIE's stunning victories against the Allies early in the war. KB-46 wasn't perfect. It had horrific drawbacks to the user. And both the CFR and the Chinese hegemony wouldn't go near the stuff. That drug makes you lose your mind, he said. If they give you a suicide belt and tell you to blow yourself up, you'll do it. After a power cut in the prison, he showed us his wounds. Caused, he said, by three bullets to his stomach. The HIE then moved to take Beersheba, a major command and control hub. The Israelis evacuated the civilian population and lied in wait for the enemy to attack. in the streets of Beersheba, engaging in brutal urban fighting with their enemy.
Chai'i attacked all along the border, probing for a weak spot, but could not get past its defenses. In the West Bank the HIE mustered its forces and began preparing to advance on Jerusalem. But the IDF had another plan. With Beersheba on the brink of collapse, the Allies knew that when it fell, the center of Israel would be open to attack. The average Israeli citizen didn't know it, but Israel was doomed. The Allies gathered all the forces it could spare in Israel for Operation David, a full-scale counter-attack on the HIE forces in the West Bank. The plan was to create a buffer so that Jerusalem and other cities in danger could be safely evacuated.
some sort of human tsunami. You'd shoot one in the face and they wouldn't die. They'd move forward like some sort of coked up zombie army that wouldn't stop. No matter how many rounds you'd pump into their bodies, it took a lot of damage to put one down. And when you did, there was another hundred right behind it. We did everything we could to slow down the enemy, to delay them long enough to allow the civvies to escape by the sea and air to America. My unit engaged in a fighting retreat with the HIE and made it to the last ships out. I didn't find out until much later that it was the German volunteers who defended the ports until the bitter end. Their sacrifice allowed the Allied forces and the remnants of the IDF to evac and fight another day. Oh, In four days, six million Israelis were evacuated, but many were left behind. Israel retaliated against the HIE by unleashing its nuclear weapons on its cities. Israel even destroyed Tel Aviv, wiping out three million HIE soldiers stationed there, who were hunting down survivors. States. They joined the U.S. in their war against the hegemony, in the Pacific, and South America. Free Israel lost so much, but would end up contributing greatly to the Allied war effort. Free Israel patiently waited for the day it could return back home. are on the brink of collapse. We interrupt our programming. This
yards away. That's AK-47. North America was attacked by the hegemony with both nuclear fire and a full-scale invasion. Everything west of the Mississippi River was conquered, except one. The hegemony first hit us with the Great Cannon, a weapon that destroyed every computer and server connected to the Internet. We were blind and our shields went down. We were defenseless to what came next. They immediately hit us with every hypersonic nuclear missile they had. Half of the West Coast went with it. Twelve hours later, the Chinese hegemony landed a million soldiers near the ruins of San Fran, L.A., and Seattle, while the CFR moved to take Alaska up north. Vancouver wasn't hit, and the fallout went south, so we survived unscratched. The next three weeks was nothing but an endless stream of refugees from down south. The hegemony didn't seem to care much about Vancouver. They just pushed inland, pulling straight for the Rockies, attempting to destroy the remaining bits of the U.S. military. Vancouver was completely left alone. We weren't a threat to them. I think they would later regret that decision. Jake is down. Copy. managed to stop the hegemony invasion along the Mississippi River. Unable to advance further, the CFR prepared to take Vancouver. and surrounded by the enemy. It had become a fortress of 24 million people, almost all of them refugees. The island had become a base for the Allies to launch special forces attacks on occupied America and as an emergency landing area for Allied aircraft. The hegemony wanted to conquer the island, but after their first two invasions were repelled, 
They simply blockaded the island and planned to starve the population into submission. The Allies launched Operation North Star to prevent the complete collapse of Vancouver Island, and the Allies supplied the island with food, ammunition, and medicine from the air and from orbit. Thousands of Allied aircraft were shot down in the operation, but just enough supplies went through the blockade to keep the island from collapsing from mass starvation. When the siege on Vancouver Island was finally lifted in 2065, only 7 million people remained. The CFR needed to take the heavily entrenched Allied position in Vancouver Island, but it didn't have the unlimited supply of manpower that the Chinese hegemony or the HIE had. Its wars in Asia and in the Canadian wilderness had already caused it millions of casualties it could not replace. It had to find a more creative solution to keep on fighting in North America. The CFR normally would rely on its technological edge, but it was preparing to help the HIE invade the European Union. The bulk of its walkers and UAVs were diverted to Europe for that campaign. But in 2062, the CFR implemented Order Echo 62. In recent years, Delgado has shown that the behavior of monkeys can be altered using low-power pulsating magnetic fields. But in these experiments, there were no antenna implants. Any function in the brain, emotions, intellect, personality, could be perhaps modified by this non-invasive technology. Delgado's research has so far been limited to animals. But in the Soviet Union, a radio frequency, or RF device, has been used for over 30 years to manipulate the moods of mental patients. Echo 62 had CFR doctors surgically implanting computer chips in the brains of captured enemy soldiers that forced them to fight for the CFR. If these soldiers refused to fight, surrendered, or even looked at their handlers funny, their chips would be activated and they would die instantly. The Allies would come to nickname these mind-controlled soldiers brain slaves or rent-a-commies. It was a cheap and effective program for the CFR. They would eventually force almost 30 million captured Allied soldiers to fight for them in every front until the program was discontinued in 2067 when the Allies developed a countermeasure to the implant that saved the host's life. In 2063, the CFR used the brain slaves against Vancouver Island in two major engagements. The first in February was 150,000 strong, which was repelled by the Allies after heavy losses. The second occurred in September with double the strength, but this engagement was easily repelled by the Allies who lost only 13,000. The Allies had a new weapon of their own. 2065. Millions died preserving Vancouver's freedom. It was the only territory in Western America to remain free during the Third World War. A feat that those who survived are proud of even today.
space, to the moon, and to the planets beyond. Whether it will become a force for good or ill depends on man. We didn't think of death at all. Garnished. Not at all. Only of fighting. Keeping on fighting. We lived and fought only to fight. Loyal to the end. Loyal to the end. The barrels were pushed away and they were dangling there. I admit I was thinking the bastards deserved to hang. They stabbed us in the back. When you're at war, you don't stop. No sabotage. You must do your duty to the end. The beginning of the 21st century was mired with global insecurity, regional conflicts, and economic downturns. Desperation, mankind turned skyward, and a new space race began. The great power spent trillions on the colonization effort. As the first resources from the colonies began to pour back into the earth and make her rich again, everyone scrambled to lay claim to as much of the colonies as possible. Mars became divided. The South was claimed by the U.S., India, and Japan. The North by China and the CFR. The European Union lay claim to the center of Mars, around Olympus Mounds. There, the first EU colonists established their Martian capital. A small outpost at first of 100 people. But by 2055, it was a massive multi-city complex with nearly 6 million people one million of which was Martian-born. The colonies prospered. The EU and other nations pulled themselves out of the Second Great Depression from the resources found there. The EU Olympus Mounds Martian complex was the richest of these colonies on Mars. 50% of all Martian minerals exports to Earth came from that region. The end of the Second Great Depression didn't mean an end to aggression on Earth. Many could see the writing on the wall. War was coming. Millions who could flocked to the colonies. Before the start of the Third War in 2055, there were still 800 million people on the official waiting list, waiting for a slot to go to Mars. The war did come, and soon the Allies and hegemony were killing each other, both on Earth and in the colonies. The nations of Europe declared their neutrality in the conflict, and hope to ride out the war. Allied nations by mid-2062 was on the verge of capitulation. The hegemony war machine turned on neutral Europe, which for the most part was unprepared for war. One by one, the nations of Europe fell to the CFR and the Holy Islamic Empire. Third way, a simple small pockets of 
fighting our own go here in the city. The Stratcom spokesman was quoted as saying, our orbital defenses are intact and the fleet is holding strong. The fleet is holding the strong? On the, run. the fleet. This is Renee Sayan in New Delhi. The surviving European nations joined the Allies, and on Mars, the hegemony began to move against the EU's presence there. On March 10, 2063, the hegemony attacked the EU Olympus Mons complex. Chinese STF and CFR Special Forces made orbital drops at four locations surrounding EUC Deutschland. The hegemony seized Mine 134, Mine 156, and two strategic ridges with very little resistance. The mines the hegemony seized from the EU connected to the vast underground network of tunnels that link the mines, outposts, terraformers, and colonies together. From there, they launched their assault on EU seat areas from below, and from the ridges, they attacked from above. The farming colony of 150,000 fell two weeks later. After two weeks of brutal fighting in the packed underground tunnels of Ares, the hegemony took the colony, along with its massive stores of food, water, ammunition, and oxygen. We knew Deutschland would be hit next, so we prepared and fortified as best we could. Within days, the hegemony besieged the colony and attempted multiple times to take the spaceport. The food ran out first, so we took what the colonists had. Water soon became scarce, so we hoarded that too. The hegemony refused to lift the siege, and every day more of the colonists died from thirst and hunger. It seemed like the whole colony was going to rebel against us while we were in the middle of a siege. On the third month of the siege, the colonists began to openly protest against their defenders, most of whom were Terrans, rushed up from Allied bases further south. My parents were both Terrans from Edinburgh, but that was my only real connection to Earth. I was Martian-born, one of the first. When war broke out there, it meant little to me. Their war was millions of kilometers away, and we were neutral. But sure enough, it didn't take long for the war to come to Mars, and the colonies wasted no time killing themselves for the old world. The Terrans came pouring into our colony with their ships, their tanks, and guns. First, they took away our liberties. Then they took away the ore from our mines, our crops, our men, and our precious water to fight their war. Some of us tried to resist peacefully, but they were hung by the Terrans. To them, we were all traitors. I hated them for what they did to us. But most of all, I hated their war. With the war going so poorly on Earth for the Allies, the Allies had little sympathy for the colonies. What they would do next would push the colonies away from Earth, plant the seeds for succession. Orders came from Earth to turn off the oxygen, and so we did. The colonists suffocated. All of them. A million or so. Without them, we were able to push the hegemony out. Deutschland remained in Allied hands, and the precious resources from Mars kept flowing to Earth. We had a war to win. Do I regret it? Not really. They were traitors in my eyes. And as I... Take man's last step from the surface, back home, for some time to come, but we believe not too long in the future. I'd like to just let what I believe history will record that America's challenge of today has forged man's destiny up to tomorrow. And as we leave the moon and towards the drone, 
galaxies made yellow with nuclear fire, with time turned blue again. Mankind survived in the end. It spread across the void and is now a major universal power, numbering 200 billion citizens across thousands of worlds. Humanity was at peace with itself and in the crucible of war learned to live together. Glory to God for seeing us through the darkness and into the days of peace. yellow, the oceans into acid, and rob the earth of life. Not just billions of human lives, but most of its biodiversity perished. The great green that once coated the planet with life was only alive in the old movies and pictures. The world we inherited was almost indistinguishable from the moon. But unlike the old ones, who were crippled with survival skill, we were determined to rebuild this world. That looks like a good spot, I said by pointing to a large swath of clear land below that cut right through the city ruins. Ranger Santos, who was operating the command computer, nodded in agreement and punched in the coordinates on the computer. Land seems suitable for, for LZ. Air, radiation, water is within an acceptable range. There is plenty of grass and advanced plant life has taken hold, he said matter-of-factly. Has the area been cleared of unexplored ordnance, landmines, and booby traps? I said trying hard to contain my excitement. The army cleared the sector a few days ago. We're good to go, Rico Santos said with a smile. This, this is where we begin again. Santos, call in the transports. I said finally relieved that decades of hard work was finally bearing fruit. Millions of people spent every day and night in the desolate red zones trying to terraform the earth. We did this by replanting trees, filtering the water, scrubbing the air, clearing the bodies, and using genetics to revive dead species. Now there were finally places that could sustain life again. There they are, Santos said pointing to a lumbering transport aircraft that hovered silently above the dead city and towards them. It stopped over the clearing and cautiously landed. Its aft door swung open. But nothing came out. I don't see anything, Santos said, sounding worried. I see one, I almost yelled. A lone copper-colored creature with a long black mane and four huge legs slowly stepped out of the aircraft. Its first step was timid, as if it had never encountered the open world before. It didn't take long for it to find its courage and begin trotting around in happy circles. Dozens of other creatures, just like it, soon followed the copper-colored one outside, and they ran together in a big herd. I didn't say anything for a while. I was fixated on these majestic creatures that the old ones called horses. I turned to speak to Santos, but he silently sobbing into his hands. <laughs> 
help but get overwhelmed by the moment also. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive our old ones for killing you in their war. We will make it right. This world is yours again.